Today we're transitioning into a new series uh, entitled Investigating Jesus. And uh, this series uh, is going to, we're going to be jumping into this and moving into this. We're not transitioning from the Gospel of Luke, but we are transitioning into a new series uh, out of Luke. And we're going to be in this series for probably the foreseeable uh, future as we are going to go through Luke's Gospel here who is our meticulous historical uh, teacher, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And we're going to experience and explore who Jesus is. And so you may ask this question, you may ask yourself, why should we uh, endeavor to really study out and understand the life of Jesus? I mean, after all, don't we all know who Jesus is already, right? We talk about Jesus all the time, we hear about Jesus all the time, we know about Jesus. Well, here's Two facts that I need to let you know about, and the reason that inspires us really to go into this study of understanding who Jesus is. And the first is this, the reason why we want to embark on this, the reason why this is so important is that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And while there are many things that help build our faith, including God's Word, the person of Jesus, who He was, who He is, and what He has done, and the eternal life that He brings is the true foundation of our faith. And since that is the foundation of our faith, we need to understand it. We need to know it. We need to not only know it uh, in basics, but we need to understand who Jesus is in every aspect. And the other thing is, the reason why we need to understand this and know this is because our faith is under attack. Did you know that our faith is under attack today? Well, guess what? Our faith has been under attack since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? Absolutely has. But I want you to know that I have been uh, studying and looking at uh, several different things, and I want you to know that our faith is systematically being destroyed by atheists and people within this world, and what is happening is many quote-unquote Christians, those who espound to be followers of Jesus Christ, are buying into the lies of the world, and are buying in hook, line, and sinker. As a matter of fact, listen to these two statistics that are just amazing. And I want to say that this attack is coming, uh, is all over our world, but we see it especially in our schools, elementary, junior high, high school, but even more so in our colleges and in our universities, okay? And this just blows my mind. Statistics tell us today that 70% of teenagers that leave high school claiming to be followers of Jesus, claiming to be Christian students, walk away from their faith in the beginning months or weeks of their university or college experience. Because they are taught that what they believe, what they think, what they know uh, can't be proven. You see, here's the problem that we struggle with with, with Christianity, and I want to get in this. We're, this, is, but this is why we're studying this, and here's the thing. So many of us received our Bibles this way. This is God's Word, you just believe what it says. And that's true. Very true. Okay, Nothing wrong with that. But all we do is we say, I just believe it. Well, why do you believe it? Well, because it says it. Well, I need something more. And see, our students, and even adults, many adults, are 
going through life going, well, why do you believe the word of God? How do you know it's true? And the first person that's able to bring some idea of contradiction, some thought that is wrong, something that doesn't line up with your beliefs because you don't know why you believe them, throws you for a loop, and many people walk away. How else do I know this? Because in our censuses now, or has been over the years, uh, within our census census routine, you would label down your faith. What do you believe? And our country predominantly has been a Christian country. However, in the past last 10 years at least, this idea of being a nun, I have no religious affiliation, no belief in God whatsoever, has been on the rise to where in 2019, it has been said that 33% of our Christian nation now would consider themselves to be a nun. One-third of our population would say, I have absolutely no religious affiliation, no religious ideas, no belief in God whatsoever. And so the truth is, is that our faith is being broken down, being destroyed, and I believe one of the biggest parts of it is because we don't fully understand why we believe, and the fact is that there is proof and evidence for what we believe. Our faith is not based on this mystical idea of, of Jesus being this God and this mystical God that's out there. Our faith is rooted, yes, in the Word of God, but in the evidence that is given in society and in the world and in the past that our, what we believe is absolutely true. And we need to understand that because they're going after, listen, this world is going after our kids in a heartbeat. That's where Satan is attacking. And we need to know what we believe, why we believe it, what builds that up, and that's what we're doing here today in this. And Luke gives us, Luke's primary purpose is to show the humanity of God. Now, he does not deny at all the deity of God. That is understood in Luke's gospel. Matthew looks at uh, Christ as being God and king. Luke looks at it from the perspective of him being the, the son of man, being human, and so his deity is there. But he also gives us so much historical data, and that's why we're doing this, so much historical data that you can prove, even outside of the scriptures, that what Luke says is absolutely the truth in the Word of God. And we know that because the Holy Spirit uh, is the author of this. We recognize that, but I'm also giving you something a little bit more. And so we have seen here, just going through the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, we have seen here all of the historical data that Luke has given to us. That just based upon the historical data that Luke has given to us, you can go back to Bethlehem. You can go back to the time when Jesus was born. You can know that he was a real person. You can know what what circumstances took place. And we see this happening all through his life. And now we come to a situation here where we see the boyhood of Jesus. And this is really interesting because this is the only time that Scripture tells us about the boyhood of Jesus. We have his birth... And then we don't really hear about Jesus at all in the Gospels until he's about 30 years of age starting his ministry. What happened in between those years? And the truth is there's a lot of stories, a lot of fables, a lot of things that are there. We're not going to get off into those things. We're going to go where Luke goes and we're going to show you why this is significant and what this portion of Scripture is. So as we read through this today, we kind of immediately ask ourselves, Why is this childhood uh, event recorded and no others? And what makes this so important? And the word really that sums all of this up is, is milestones. 
Do you have milestones in your life? Every one of us do, right? We all have different things in our life. This was a milestone in the life of Jesus. This is a very significant time. We read it in our Western thinking, in our Western mindset. We blow right through it and go, well, whoop-de-doo, big deal. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Okay, let's move on, right? That's really what it is. And, uh, and teenagers and, and children go to it and go, see, even Jesus ditched his mom and dad, right? All excited about that. Well, none of that is really what, what took place, and we'll see that here in a moment. But milestones, this was a milestone for Jesus. We have them. We have our birth, uh, when, when our children start crawling, start walking, start riding a bike, lose the first tooth, get your first job, get your driver's license, right? All these milestones. And they usually coincide with different ages that we are as we go through our life. Go on your first date, get married, have children. All of that are milestones in our lives. And we have a milestone right here that Jesus is going through and why Luke records this milestone. So let's look at our text here and let's pull out some truths here that we need to understand what's going on and then see how, the, how one specific area of this is so vitally important for our lives and we need to understand it here this morning and that is this. Look at verse number 41. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. I want to just share with you that Mary and Joseph were devout followers of Jesus Christ. They were chosen by God to raise Jesus. And what this shows us here uh, on the onset, because of what you know is going to come in the story here, is that Mary and Joseph were good, godly parents. The word that's used for them is a word that we might not think as positive. How many of you, when you hear the word pious, think of something positive? I don't, because we used to use the word pious in, in college where I went to, and, and everybody was a pious scholar in the snack shop, right? We'd hear what the professors tell us, and then us students would expound on what the professor told us, and we knew more than the professor, right? That's how it went. And so we had a name for those of us that did that. I stayed away from that, by the way. Right? We had a name for those of us that did that. We were pious gas bags right? Just spouting off all this religious stuff. But really the word pious means that they were devout, that they were followers, that they followed Jesus. So I'm just letting you know that if you hear the word pious being used uh, for Mary and Joseph, it is a right term. It is a good term. They were good, godly parents that took care of Jesus and by this time other children. Did you know that Mary and Joseph had other children? Jesus did have half-brothers and sisters there and so they went to this the feast of Passover, they went every single year, they were faithful to go. And in verse number 42, it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, we read that verse, and it means absolutely nothing to us other than the fact that Jesus was 12. But for a Jewish reader of this text, this was very, very significant. This was a very important day in the life of Jesus. The custom here that they're referring to is twofold. It is the custom of them going to the Passover feast. Every Jewish believer was to go every year to Jerusalem, was to make the journey to Jerusalem to go to the Passover feast. But at the age of 12, a young man at the age of 12 was to go with his family to the Passover feast. And during that time, he was to become a man. At the age of 12... What they would do is it's called son of the law. At his age, a Jewish boy became a son of the law. 
We still have that tradition today in Jewish society today. You may know it as a bar mitzvah. You've heard that term? Bar mitzvah. Well, this was the sons of the law. This is when they came uh, to uh, the Passover, and they had a ritual, a rite of them coming into manhood. Now, it did not mean that they became a man. In Jewish culture, you were not considered an adult man until you're 30. Okay? But what this does mean is that what they're symbolizing here is now a 12-year-old boy was moving into manhood and was now responsible before the law for himself. Prior to this, a 12-year-old boy was a child and the sacrifices and the offerings that the, pa- the parents made were for the children. Uh, when a young man or even a, a young lady was 12 going into 13 here where Jesus was, they now are responsible for themselves. Meaning this, this is really cool, and, and, and teenagers get this, because you know what it meant? It meant you're held accountable for the choices you make. That's what it is. No more, no, have, have you been in our school system today that when the kid goes and does something wrong, the parents come and defend them? Right? I mean, all over the teachers because of that? This custom said, you're 12, you make a choice, you deal with the consequences. That's what it was. And so you, you now are of age that you were a son or a daughter of the law, and whatever choices you make now, nobody's coming to bail you out. No one's coming to save you. You are on your own now, and so you need to take responsibility for what you do. I wish us Gentiles had something a little like this, huh? Right? So we see this happening. Jesus was there. But here's what happened, and we'll, and we'll see this. So I'm going to give you a little tidbit here, and we'll go on a little bit more. The test was their knowledge in the Word of God. That was the test. And so we'll see that play out here in just a moment. And so here they are in uh, Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Here they are. uh, Jesus is getting ready for this and becoming uh, a son of the law. And in verse number 43 through 45, while they're there for this week feast and stuff, the feast was ended and they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposed him to be in the group. uh, And they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And you know what I wrote down? I wrote down in big letters, great. One job. Mary and Joseph had one job. That was it. Make sure that Jesus survived to get to his ministry. And now they lost him. Right? Can you imagine how Joseph and Mary felt in that moment? I can imagine them saying that. I can, I can see Joseph going, oh my goodness. I mean, just one thing. He's got to watch the kid, right? I mean, it's not like he's difficult to raise. <laughs> right? He's got to watch him. Now, before we get all over Joseph and Mary, we need to understand some cultural facts. As we said already in the birth of Jesus Christ, whenever they traveled, they traveled in caravans. Groups, big groups of people. This wasn't just two or three or a family. This was big groups of people, many families traveling together. And what was customary in that day was the fact that men traveled apart from the women. Men would be in their own group, and women would be in their own group. And of course, you know, in the women's group were the children as well. That was the custom of that day. Men would travel, women would travel. So Mary and Joseph didn't see each other all day in this in this journey. Now. 
Today, uh, coming out, out of this feast, is a very. this is why you need to understand culture. You need to understand what's happening there. This is a very special occasion for Jesus because not only now is he a son of the law, not only does he ha- have his own consequences have to deal with this now, now he has the right at the age of 12 that he is now able to travel with the men. Before 12 years old, he couldn't travel with the men. He had to travel with his mother, had to travel with uh, the children, and now he has that opportunity. However, Jesus doesn't have to, at the age of 12, travel with the men. He still could, at the age of 12, travel with Mary and the children. There was some time in there. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay. I'm sure if you have had any number of children, you have at least had this conversation with your wife or with your husband at some time. I thought he was with you. And I thought he was with you. Right? Ever have that conversation? Um, or am I the only one? <laughs> and I just confess to something here that, you know, you're all looking at me going, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Um, and so they're traveling and in this big group, and, and it would have, you know, there, would have been, there was family, there was friends, there was cousins. How many of you ever do any traveling or, or anything with, with a group of your family? Your kids get mixed up with their kids and all that kind of stuff uh, there, and, and you, can, you can lose one. As a matter of fact, they did a whole movie based upon that. It's called Home Alone. Remember that? And so... They come together that night, and they're like, man, we, wh- I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And, and this is one thing I know for sure. This is one thing I've learned for sure. Because Jesus did have siblings at this time. Do you know that your sibling doesn't care that much about their other sibling? They love them, but when they don't see them, they don't care about it whatsoever. And I know this because when my four adult children were younger, <laughs> see how I'm building up to this, right? We get done with church. We're the last ones out of church, as always, there. And my kids climbed in their van. We had this Astro mini, well, this minivan. This thing was huge. But anyways, uh, so my three daughters are in the seats. And my kids were at this time where they like to hide in the back part of the, of the vehicle. And so we thought that our son was in the back part of the vehicle. How do you know that wasn't the case? <laughs> right? Everybody's gone from the church. Our doors automatically lock when the church uh, closes up. And my four-year-old son ran to the restroom and didn't let anybody know. And we took off. He somehow dropped his bag at the door, was able to get out. And apparently, apparently, this little boy ran out and watched our vehicle just drive right out of the parking lot. (laughs) After many therapy bills. Um. He's doing okay. We, listen, y'all, it was a big city, uh, you know, but we were able to get, you know, maybe just half a mile down the road, but we're talking 15 minutes, we got to a restaurant, fast food restaurant that we were going to eat at, and we asked my son, his name is Nathaniel, Nathaniel, what do you want to eat? Not a sound. Nathaniel, what do you, what do you, someone asked Nathaniel back, he's not back there. All three of my daughters have been sitting back there the whole time, and now they just figure out he's not back there? So I'm making the point, it's not a big deal that Mary and Joseph lost their son, okay? Are you with me? And so after three days, now you have to understand what the Bible says here in verse 46, after three days, it was the day traveling. You can't travel at night in this day and age. So they had to stay the night 
which that must have been a very restful evening for them. They had to travel one day back, and they had one day in the city that they were looking for Jesus, and finally they found him three days later. He's in the temple and listening to them. And as they come in, Jesus is sitting there with the teachers and, the, and those that were in charge there, answering and asking questions. And all who were with him were amazed and understood at his answers that were there. We'll talk about that here in a moment. The point is they found him, and when they found him, Jesus was in the temple. And him being in the temple should not have been surprising to them, other than they're not thinking about Jesus in any other way than they're being their son, right? And so one of the things that happens as a boy goes through this process, they have to demonstrate their knowledge of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, okay? And that's what he's doing here, although his went a little bit longer, about three days uh, talking, and they were intrigued in his talking and his response and, and stuff like that, and we'll see that as we go on here. But in verse number 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father, that term father is just a generic term dealing with Joseph, and I have been searching for you in great distress. Mary's response is the same way any mother's response would be when you found your children, your child after three days. Praise God you're alive, now I'm going to kill you. Right? That's what it was. Jesus, why did you do this to us? Why did you, why did you do this? And I want you to understand, if you, as you read this, you can start thinking to yourself, wait a minute. Was this an act of rebellion? Did Jesus just disregard what his parents wanted him to do and to do? No, that's not what it was. The, the author gives us here the details of what's going on, but this is really just a case of, of Mary and Joseph forgetting Jesus or thinking he was there and he wasn't and stuff like that. But then when Jesus responds, you think, wow. He says in verse 49, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's, and that father is Yahweh, God? I need to be in my father's house, or the old King James says, in my, of my father's business. And Jesus' answer here is very, very important. First of all, understand this. Jesus is not smarting off to Mary. Okay? This is not a sarcastic type of statement. This is a truthful statement. Jesus was, listen, Jesus was making a very profound statement that he probably has never made to this point. Maybe, let me put it this way, have you ever asked the question or thought to yourself, when did Jesus actually know that he was the Messiah? When did Jesus actually figure out who he was and what the mission was and what the plan was? When did Jesus find that out? We don't know for sure when Jesus found that out, but listen very carefully. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt by the time he was 12 he knew. This is a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. This is a declaration saying, I am the Son of God. So many people today claim and say, well, Jesus never even claimed to be the Son of God. He did when he was 12 and did continually all through his life continue to show that he is God, which is absolutely amazing. So at the age of 12, we, this milestone that takes place, we have a time and date. Luke gives us a time and date where we recognize that at the very least at the age of 12, maybe a little before that, maybe he was understanding that a little bit more, maybe he was trying to figure it out because, listen, Jesus had a human nature and had a divine nature, and his human nature he didn't know. 
right? And so he's trying to figure this out, and now he comes to this divine nature, kicks in and tells him who he is. So we see here that Jesus, at, the, at least at the age of 12, knows exactly who he is, that he is the Son of God and what his mission is. And then in verse 50 we see, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to, to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother tre- treasured up all these things in her heart. All that Joseph and Mary experienced, all that Joseph and Mary went through, and still this statement to them was still foreign. They couldn't fully comprehend what was going on. They, they knew it on the surface, but, but man, it was just much deeper than what they could ever understand. And let me ask you this, wouldn't it be for you? You're raising the Son of God. What does all that mean? I have no idea what all that means. But this is what blows my mind. Jesus returns home with Joseph and Mary. And the Bible tells us here, and Luke is very specific to tell us this, and he submits to the authority of Mary and Joseph. Now listen, all right? He is the Son of God. He could say, well, I created you. (laughs) Right? Now listen. And I'm so glad we have so many children here today because you guys need to hear this. Listen to me very carefully. God, the creator of the universe, the very son of God, submitted to the parental authority that God had over him. If God, the son of God, the son of God, if he submits to the parental authority that's over them, guess what? You ain't got no water. You can't say nothing against mom and dad. You're not God. I know you think you are sometimes, you're not. That also means that God has given us parental authority, so very important that we, our parents know more, they're they're put over us for that, and we are to submit to that. God himself, enrobed in human flesh, the creator of the universe, now submits himself to mom and dad. Right? It's just absolutely amazing. This is significant. And the fact of the matter is that as Jesus did that, he knew that he was the Son of God. And so we see here something that's so very, very important for us. We see here in Jesus' life some things, and I want to draw you just to one major thought here. I want to bring you back to verse number 49. And Luke shows us here in in verse 49, we see here Luke shows us not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but that he recognized and claimed that he was the Son of God. I can't make that point any clearer. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was a lunatic. Bottom line. Either he was a good teacher, or he was a liar. And he was neither a lunatic nor a liar. He was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God. The second thing that I want you to get from this is this. As the Son of God, His human nature, uh, in His human nature, Jesus, listen now, had to read and had to study and had to learn God's Word. Think about that. He was the Word. He was Logos. But yet, in His human nature growing up, He studied the Torah. 
He studied the first five. This shows us here that because Jesus was asking questions, was answering questions from the Torah, from the Old Testament. And they were amazed as they listened to him and, they, and he looked at them. They were amazed. Listen, Jesus didn't know. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus didn't know more than any other student did about the Word of God. Hear me? Didn't know. He studied the same text. Every Jewish boy at the age of 12 studied the same text, knew the Word of God. They weren't amazed that he knew the Word of God. They were amazed because he had supernatural understanding that others didn't have. As a matter of fact, they were asking him questions and he was giving them answers. Pretty amazing thought. But why did he have that supernatural understanding? He had that supernatural understanding because he was God. Absolutely. But listen, and this is what I want to get to this morning. After all of this, what we see is this, is that God still studied, Jesus still studied the Old Testament Word so that He would have an idea. And I believe that through the Old Testament Word is where He learned that He was the Son of God. As a matter of fact, where does Jesus go in the New Testament to prove that He's the Son of God? He goes to Isaiah, doesn't He? He reads from the prophet Isaiah. And He says, today you, I have fulfilled this in your ear. I, I am the Son of God. So can I bring this down to this one point I want you to walk away with here? And I want to show you why this is so important. If the Son of God needed to know the Word of God, how much more do we need to know the Word of God? I mean, think about it. If Jesus in His humanity grew up studying the Old Testament Torah, and taking it and learning from it. And you know how we know this? Because Luke finishes up completely in verse 52, and he says this, these words, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know what that means? Wisdom. Wisdom is intellectual understanding from knowing God's Word. The more he understood God's word, the more he knew it, put it uh, in his mind and, and lived it out. He had the wisdom. Stature is just growing uh, in uh, growth and health. And then it says with favor with God is spiritual growth through supernatural understanding of God's word. Listen, every single one of us, when we come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit who resides inside of us. You know the primary mission and goal of the Holy Spirit is to teach you God's word. That's what he wants to do. He wants to illuminate. He is our teacher. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have the same spiritual insight that Jesus enjoyed. And then he grew with favor with man, proper application of God's word. As he applied God's word to his life, he grew in favor with man. Jesus was a well-rounded man. Do you want to be a well-rounded follower of Jesus Christ? Then you have to spend time in God's word. You have to be in God's word. You have to read God's Word. You have to let the Holy Spirit speak and teach you through God's Word. It's the most important thing you can have in your life. That is why, if you have noticed, even in our, if you were here for Sunday school, and if you noticed even in the announcements and even today, we're kind of harping on this, this this Sunday. And it's not by mistake because it's the beginning of a new year. A new time to begin. New time to get started. And listen, more than ever, your faith is under attack. Why do you believe what you believe? You only understand what you believe and why you believe it because of what God's Word says. You've got to be in God's 
word, I'm sick of the devil taking out Christians. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of Christians not knowing the answer. I'm sick of Christians not having the boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ because if they just ask me one question that I don't know, it just blows me. Well, then know it. Know it. Know it from the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Listen, the more you put this into your body, into your mind, and into your life, the more ammunition the Holy Spirit has. Right? Because He's the one that brings it to our mind and brings it to our hearts and brings it to our lives so that we can share it and do it. So on this January, first Sunday of January, as we embark in this new year, this new decade, it is my goal, my heart's desire to leave you with this, to encourage you and to challenge you to be faithful in God's Word. That's why we have created this year a Bible reading plan. But listen, if you don't want to go through the Bible in a year, that's fine. You don't need to go through the Bible in a year. Just get in God's Word and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Read it, study it, learn it. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you supernatural understanding. Apply its truths to your life. If Jesus, the Son of God, thought it important that he studied the Old Testament scriptures. How much more important should it be in our lives? Stay, start in God's word, and stay in God's word. Let's stand together in God's house.